Hey Church of the City, Pastor Matt here. You're about to listen to part two of a conversation I began over a month ago entitled Racism, Justice, and the Gospel. The part one of this conversation is available on our podcast, and so I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that conversation before continuing into part two. But if you have listened to part one, then I welcome you to this conversation. I think you will find it edifying, valuable, and important. And so please enjoy this conversation. And as always, you are loved. And let's continue to pray in Guelph as it is in heaven. Well, hey, welcome back. This is conversation number two. After the last conversation, uh, we all agreed we need to have another one because we really laid out in the first conversation, kind of a theological understanding of racism. And thinking back to that, we, we discussed the reality that, that really racism is a problem of the human heart, that racism is a human race problem rather than it is any particular race. That was something that, that stood out to me uh, in particular about that first conversation. Um, and so we have back with us the same guys that we had before, Michael from Kingdom Life Fellowship, Raja from Uptown Community Church, and then Albert from Trinity Grace Church. And so if you haven't listened to the first conversation or watched the first conversation, I'd invite you to go and listen to that probably first before getting to this one. But what I want to start today is just an open question uh, to the three of you as far as Thinking back to our first conversation, what do you feel was kind of left on the table about what we need to address today? Or what are some some hopes? Or what would be some of the ways that we could apply the gospel as it relates to people that you're talking about, talking to in your church, or even as you're taking in the news, um, as we all do from time to time, around topics of race? Uh, what was left on the table? And so uh, just please speak into that. And then we'll kind of create a little bit of a, a forum or an agenda for us moving forward. Yeah. So for me, the the previous conversation, again, I, I, I actually just enjoyed it. Even if it wasn't recorded, anybody else, just hearing different perspectives and different things, again, from different backgrounds, I, I loved it. But for me, the thing that I think what really kind of sticks to my mind is that uh, like, like a path forward, you know, like it's it like, again, Matt, like what you said is that, uh, you know, we are inundated almost every day with racial injustice. And again, you know, we are, as, as Canadians, you know, we are confronted with this idea of the 215 children, you know, uh, that was found. And, and it, again, it's just devastating. But it's also a good reminder as Canadians that we have our own past, our own history that can I deal with as well. So for me, the, the thing that I like to kind of, you know, dream about, as Jesus did dream about when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, is what is the way forward? You know, what does it look like to, to move into the future and with, with everyone kind of united? So that, that, that's partly what I'd like to kind of hear, hear as far as from each person. Mm-hmm. Path forward, Michael or Albert, path, path forward, other ideas, suggestions of what is sort of left on the table that you want to address today? <clears throat> yeah, I, I, uh, for me, um, I think when you boil it down, the main practical application for me comes down to um, uh, living into uh, identity. Um, Hmm. The the, the Christ follower uh, has chosen to uh, be adopted, uh, is adopted into Christ's family in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And um, and now our deepest identity um, is our original identity 
um, and truest identity, which is uh, just being a child of, of God in Christ, period. Mm. Uh, so race and ethnicity, those are all, uh, I, I don't know what the right word is, but just extras. Um, those are layers to our identity. Um, and on the flip side, I think, I don't know, I, at least for me, um, when I look out on the world and, and my own self, when I become or when I see our culture become uh, impassioned about race issues, I wouldn't be surprised if it's because they are putting uh, inordinate stock in their race, uh, in their skin color, in their ethnicity, uh, for their identity, right? Mm. And, and, and so for me, um, it's a constant navigation between, okay, what's my deepest I- identity and not to uh, reject my Korean uh, heritage and so forth, but um, how does that uh, get spoken into by my deepest identity? So that that's if you boil it down, yeah. that's the practical application, yeah. and 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 that will inform how I re- react, respond, um, reach out to uh, race issues and and people, um, yeah, just caught in the crossfire of all this. Yeah. Well, I want to, I would love to spend a little bit of our time today talking about identity specifically. Um, I was listening to something with Tim Keller recently and just talking about how the gospel is to be presented to our culture now versus 20 or 30 years ago. It's the same gospel, but that the implications of the gospel and the way we present it to our culture now is going to look different. And that one of the key idols is identity. And so I think focusing a bit of time on identity around race, around our, our, our identity, what God says of us um, is going to be a deeply important thing to answer today. How about for you, Michael, what do you feel like was left on the table that you'd like to address? We talked about paths forward, identity. Is there something else for you? Yeah, I think both our brothers have uh, really hit on uh, some of the keys uh, that were even in my mind as we left the last conversation uh, is, you know, identity is, I, I think, one of the things that we um, continually have to remind ourselves of um, as followers of Jesus, followers of the way, like we continually have to wrap around our minds around and our hearts around what it is to to um, to be a follower um, and who it is that we're following. So it'd be great to open that and just the practical ways, yeah, practical ways to to move forward. I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, really I have been moved in the past year, for example. Uh, Matt, just to just to uh, talk a little bit about us in terms of when you reached out to me after uh, the George Floyd incident, that's something that you didn't have to do, mm. uh, right? But that act of empathy um, has opened so many doors <laughs> uh, for our friendship, for our community, and so you know, just the practical ways that we can we can be avenues of of healing and, and reconciliation. I think it's, it'd be great to break it open. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. And I think probably what we should do in that time is a lot of times we want to focus on the institutional or the big, the macro, Michael, you and I have talked about this before, but what we need to look at is how do we, how do we act on the micro relationship to relationship, neighbor to neighbor, um, so that I think that will be really, really important to address then maybe as we close. So let's, let's, let's dig into this. I think Raja, you, you brought up the 215 um, indigenous 
bodies, these graves that were that were found. I was reading an article that was written opinion piece into uh, the Guelph today. And the person was essentially throwing a rock at the Catholic church and saying that the Catholic faith has nothing to offer as far as any solutions to the future. Um, And I thought that was a very interesting judgment spoken upon uh, the Catholic church. And we have to recognize that people are obviously hurting as it relates to this and maybe uh, communication from the Catholic church has not come out in the way that they specifically want it. But it did raise for me the question is what is then the path forward again? So why don't, why don't we jump in here to the path forward? What do each of you see as important realities or principles connected to our gospel understanding of the gospel solution of a path forward in our culture right now? And I think Canada, I think it's important maybe to address Canada specifically, though we can understand that we hear a lot about U.S., um, U.S. news, but think in Canadian context specifically, what is what is a path forward for us? I'll jump in. Um, I think with uh, movements, you can either <clears throat> create them top down or bottom up. Uh, so top down, you have an existing institution, say like the Catholic Church or a certain denomination, and uh, from the top down, they mandate a certain uh, posture and and uh, you know, make public official statements and everyone's meant to live into that. And hopefully as uh, the culture and the public in the public square sees um, top down changes that will um, garner, uh, yeah, uh, steps towards reconciliation. Um, Or you you need to have something start like Christianity did uh, with Jesus, um, uh, the bottom up uh, from a grassroots level and um and just influencing uh in those micro ways that you referred to earlier matt um for me the the deepest burden i think um in response to the 215 is yeah how could the church get it wrong and and i'm not at this point in the conversation i don't want to distinguish between catholic church protestant whatnot like just the church because they're um witness or or the criticism they receive makes it difficult for me in my job as well as a protestant pastor um so i I just want to be a team player in regards to church witness um and 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 so i ask myself how did the church get it so wrong uh in history um in canadian history well other parts of history too but um yeah so i you know, if I assume that there isn't going to be a clear top-down change, uh, and I wonder how much clout we actually do have in our society and culture still uh, as a church. Um, so in Canada, at least, and, and speaking specifically about Toronto, um, I, I only see as, as a hope being like a grassroots movement starting again, where just more and more genuine Christ followers who are really living Christ way and by his grace and so forth are um, starting to increase and have more and more uh, influence in the day-to-day and the micro. Uh, And then hopefully we see more and more of those genuine Christ followers uh, entering into positions of influence in society and and, uh, making reform uh, from those positions of influence. So um, yeah, that's in terms of a path forward, yeah, I kind of generally see just those two ways, top down or bottom up, and both are hard. Both don't 
they're they're I don't see them in the horizon to me. Honest, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, that, that in some ways, your 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 answer, Albert, make, it makes me ask the question: <clears throat> Is there a bit of both required? Mm-hmm. Um, and by top down, I mean, at what point do we as believers challenge the institution and structures, uh, challenge the systems that that have been formed? Uh, can you guys, Roger, Michael, do you guys want to speak to that at all? There's, there's I, I like the language you've used, Albert, top down, which can be a casting of a stone, you know, over the wall at the institution mm-hmm. without thinking about the bottom up. But is there a both and needed as it relates to, as we as followers of Jesus think about this, Raja or Michael? Yeah, you know, I, lo- I love that. Uh, so one of the problems with this whole conversation is the binary response, exactly what you said, yes, and. So I've been talking to my own community about, <laughs> I use the word quantum, so it's not, it's not, it's not binary, but it's quantum, because quantum is yes, and, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I love about the yes, and idea is that it's both, right? So uh, I think uh, what Albert said is absolutely correct in the sense that institutional top-down is difficult, right? We use our prophetic voices, but the reality is a Christian voice in, in Western culture is, is growing smaller and smaller. And I actually think that's a good thing because, you know, we have misplaced this idea of power in regards to how we actually use power, right? Because right. top down, it's policy, it's government, it's institutional. And again, it's government, it's denominations, it's, you know, it's all of this, right? So again, like I like what Alfred said there, we have to, we have to kind of bring it all together. Again, Catholic Church as well. But bottom up is this idea of, of this idea of, of transformation, right? So one of the things I think is really fascinating is that in this idea of racism or even how um, authentic Christian life looks like, what people will always do when they hear a, a narrative in culture is they'll, they'll try to attach that narrative to the closest relationship they have. So what's interesting is that when people hear about the Catholic Church, well, the first question they'll ask themselves is, do I actually know a Catholic? And if the answer is no, then they'll just listen to whatever they'll say. They have, it, there, there is an absence. There is a void of actually any relational information. Wow, yeah. but, if, but if the response is, yes, I know a Catholic, and they are quite involved they're loving they're gracious they're like all this then all of a sudden what happens is we are creating this tension of two opposing narratives and again all i really want is to create that tension i just because at least there could be it can be said that there is a different way of looking at it as well so within christianity today within our culture i think what 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 i think that my dismay has been is that christians have relied too much on top down which i think is Uh is abdication towards something else, like i.e. pastors or institutions, and haven't really internalized the, 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 the actual thing. So for me, it's always about, I, 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 like, I, like, I, I can't be responsible for the Catholic Church in the 1960s. I can't be responsible for Jim Crow in the States and in, 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 in its past. I can't, I can't be responsible for all of that. What I can be responsible is when I interact with other races, other denominations, other people, is my response at least something that can counterbalance the narrative that they're hearing. Hmm. So I, I just I just feel as if what's taking place right now when these accusations or these past uh, problems are being resurfaced, um, the void of Christian interaction, connection, integration within within the the, the society, is always missing, right? So uh, I was reading somewhere, and I can't, I, I apologize, but the writer was basically talking about how civil society works. And he said, basically, what we look at civil society, we work the wrong way. He says government, right? We think of civil society, and we think of government. He says, the problem is, 
a civil society is actually the opposite direction. You know, he says it's family, it's community, it's government, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the very basic unit of civil society is the family or the individual, right? So that is the very building blocks that we were supposed to build civil society upon. And government was the very end result of saying, okay, let's make sure we get along and, and, and do um, play nicely with each other and we'll have roads and clean water and all that. Great. But if we forget about the family aspect of it, we forget about the, the, the micro. And again, Matt, I love what you said there. If we forget about the micro and we rely upon the macro, what we're not doing is we're not actually integrating ourselves with people. We're not actually having conversations. So I, was a, I had this opportunity to be a part of this discussion group. It was called a salon. And it was a whole bunch of these professors from UW, Laurier, uh, uh, CG, the Center for International Governance, and my wife and I were the only Christians in this group. And we were talking about healthcare. We're talking about vaccinations. We're talking about environmental. Like, and, and we would have these pretty renowned, like we had, you know, a vice president from the World Bank come speak. We had uh, like an uh, individual with a PhD in environmentalism. And what was interesting is they'd always turn to Sarah and I and say, well, what's the Christian response to that? Hmm. And so what we had the opportunity is, is at least to counterbalance. Because again, this was in, in, the, in, the, in the Trump era where, Christians were painted with a, with a brush, right? And so, you know, we, my wife and I had at least a chance, at least our voice to say, I know what you're seeing out there. And I know the narrative that's put out there, but as Christ followers, you know, creation is a reflection of the creator, or this is like part. And so we had the opportunity. So at least they could say that apart from the narratives that they're hearing through whatever ways they're hearing it, they may have encountered you know, two people that maybe give them more of a balanced, if, if my wife and I did do so, but that way. So that's what I think is, is really kind of missing is that Christians are of the world, but we're not in the world. We're not in our community. We're not actually actively out there uh, dispelling the lies that are being told to us or the past hurts because we're not living anything differently than it is right now. Mm-hmm. Sorry well, think, for long-windedness. Think, no, but I think part of that, Raj, is also Christians knowing their own story knowing the Mm. gospel and thinking thoughtfully about how the gospel's implications actually do work as it relates to race, as we think about our society. Michael, I wonder if you could talk a little bit maybe about a path forward, giving some consideration. You can maybe give a little bit of background to your and I's relationship growing with the chief of police uh, here in Uh, Gulf, if you think that would be helpful. Absolutely. It's been amazing. You can chime in um, as I talk about it. It's been amazing uh, to see, what happened uh, basically once again from from your phone call, Matt, to me just saying, you know what, brother, I see what's happened. Uh, you, you had no idea how I was responding to it or not, but you just followed the Holy Spirit <laughs> and said, I'm going to, you know, the Holy Spirit was telling you to reach out to Michael. You reached out to me and um, a few things happened in lieu of that, in light of that. Uh, one was um, our friendship took on a different uh, paradigm. Um, just me uh, receiving just your empathy and, and, and prayer and saying that you actually care, uh, not even knowing, you know, maybe uh, what, what, what my response was uh, in, in, in terms of in lieu of everything that was going on. But to know that you cared made a difference for me. Hmm. <laughs> right. And, and, and especially, you know, it's a fellow pastor. I'll even say that a fellow pastor who is just like, you know what, I'm phoning you and say, I'm check I'm checking in on you. And so there's something about that, uh, that I believe is kingdom. 
um, that I believe reflects the, 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 the nature of, of, of what we're called to do in terms of just to, uh, if, if we have friendships with people uh, who are uh, being affect, in, uh, affected, uh, impacted uh, by injustice, it's, it, 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 I think, behooves us to move mm-hmm. in compassion. Um, uh, for those in our, con- in our, in our, in our fellowships, in our congregations, um, we just a simple phone call can make a huge difference. Like we don't even have to go huge. A simple mm-hmm. phone call can make a huge difference in someone saying, someone cares, <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone cares. Someone actually cares. So I, uh, through that conversation, um, you know, uh, what was put on my heart um, last year this time was to connect with the chief of police in Guelph. Um, something the Holy Spirit put on my heart and I had no idea uh, who the chief of police was. I had no idea necessarily how to contact him. And so Matt, Matt, me and Matt are talking. We have this conversation, Matt and I. And through this conversation, Matt is like, you know what? I There's someone in my congregation who knows the chief of police. So all of a sudden, everything has gone into, you know, into a, um, into a, the pieces are being put together from a simple phone call, checking in to say, well, how are you? Like, how are you? I I see what's happening. Uh, We started to um, talk to the chief uh, of police. His name is uh, Gord. Um, And that conversation then rocked me because I had a lot of questions uh, in our first initial conversation with him, um, in terms of, you know, just talking about uh, police interaction with minorities, police interaction with Blacks. And all of a sudden, I got kind of sideswiped because he started relationally <laughs> just saying, okay, like, tell me about you. Tell me about your your family. Tell me about your, your do you have, you know, children? And started sharing. And the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks and say, Michael, I want you to put your agenda aside. And and just 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 lean into relationship before you even get there in terms of statistics or you know police brutality. Just so lean into relationship. And what has happened has literally blown my mind in a way because um, the kingdom at its core and Raja, you're hitting is relational. Like Jesus made relationships with people, right? And I, I and, and he broke down barriers by doing that. And so I, I, um, I've been, I've been impacted heavily over the past year by um, the nature of relationship and how relationship then can then begin to uh, really um, give insight. There are some things about police, for example, that I never thought about before. Hmm. I never thought about some of the, the, uh, the, the, you know, why they do certain things or even um, their own perspectives on things. And so I'm talking to the chief, we're talking to the chief and, I, and, and, I'm hmm. and I'm learning. And yeah, I have questions and yeah, there's some things that, of course, that have, but I'm learning and I'm, and I'm seeing him now uh, not as somebody who is against me but actually we are in this thing together like you and so it's it's it, it was powerful to see how um the how, how through relationship through how through empathy um inroads can be made and 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 walls can be broken down um barriers can be broken down and so i've been i've been i've been challenged 
Um, and I kind of feel like um, Peter, when he's entering Cornelius's house and he's just like, by my law, I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually not supposed to be seen with any of y'all. But but I had a vision and I had to come. And I think that the Holy Spirit has given vision to a lot of us to kind of step out of our comfort zones, whether it be as pastors or just followers of Jesus. Step out of the comfort zones because something amazing is going to happen as you talk to that brother or you talk to that sister who is different or other than or of another culture. And you're going to see we're going to see walls come down. And it's just it started with a phone call. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily deep. <laughs> it was yeah. a phone call, bro. How you doing? Yeah. And I think what you've illustrated there, Michael, through our relationship and then that relationship then then multiplied into a relationship with the chief of police. And we're now in like every eight weeks or so, six to eight weeks, we now have a standing Zoom call and conversation with him. And so that's really, really uh, good. Um, the other thing that... Um, I think it does, it illustrates what you then said also, Raja, which is that you need to have a relationship with someone that then can be a, a buffer to the news article or to the cultural perspective, right? Yeah. So when I read that article of, you know, condemning our local Catholic parish and any lack of communication that they felt was coming out, if they'd had a Catholic friend, that might have changed the way someone had, they would have changed the way that they wrote. So I think we've done yeah. a good job here as, as far as what I'm hearing, as far as a path forward is relationship, relationship, relationship. Uh, look at the people that are around you. I wonder though, in just a, if uh, around a few minutes, if we could touch on what are applicable things that we can do as followers of Jesus on, on the macro you know, last summer, it's it's been a year now since uh, George Floyd's uh, murder. That case has now happened. There were protests happening. And there were a whole bunch of opinions coming from many different places and different within Christianity and within culture about attend them or don't. That would be an example of the fear obviously is it becomes you go for a march so you can show up for a march and then the thing kind of the the topic disappears from your world of influence but what do you guys think do we do we march what do what is what is your perspective on this because those would be things where people would say this is the macro you're getting out there you're you're walking what what do you think michael uh i'll just be quick um last year uh i prayed about what am i to do hmm um, and, um, my wife went to a march here in Guelph. I wasn't led to do that. The Holy Spirit said chief of police, and then you called and then things started to. And so I think that there is, um, a, uh, uh, you know, what, what one, one, one person or one church might be led to do might be different than somebody else. Mm. And so it might not be in terms of everyone doing the same thing. But it is, I think, uh, a matter of leaning into as an individual or as a church, like, what can we do? Go ahead, um, Roger and Albert. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, like, we have to use a lot of discernment to know who we are or what we align ourselves with. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the things I think is interesting is we're talking about institutions and we're talking Catholic Church, we're talking about Canadian government, and it's so easy to castigate large institutions, but we are pastors, we are institutional, yeah. right? Because, you know, we, we are institutional. And one of the things we've tried to do at our church is not 
give permission or or give um, condemnation, but allow each person individually to make up a decision, right? And and allow them the freedom and the space to do so. Because if I step out as a pastor and say, this is what you should do, well, then I'm just being like the Catholic Church. I'm just being like, I'm just being an institution as well too, right? And each each Christ follower has to use their own conscience and use their own perspective to it. And so what I find interesting as well too, is that we have, uh, we have a Western perspective of racism and we have a Western perspective of the atrocities of racism. But one of the things I, I'm, I'm, I'm also aware of as well too, is that globally, so I had somebody who from our church who is, um, who's interested in, in Haiti and, and things are going on there. And she was sharing a little bit of and I, I had no idea. Right. And I had another individual talk about uh, some other stuff as well. And my background is Indian uh, from India. And so it was getting there. And so we can talk about what's happening locally. We can talk about what's happening in this context, but the reality is, is what we're dealing with is a global issue. And so if we as pastors feel have, we have to respond to every kind of global issue, then what we're doing is we're forgetting <laughs> that we are ambassadors, we are gospel preachers, at least, again, in my perspective, uh, not uh, I, 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 like apolitical in the sense of like telling people, don't tell people who to vote for, like make your own decision and whatever you think is best, you know, like, you know, don't try to tell people what to do in that regard. So I think there has to be this, this also this check in our own spirits as well, too, mm-hmm. to say, you know, like we can't cover the wide ranging atrocities that take place um we we can't we can't be we we can't be a part of it my daughter was at uh uh, at the ryerson university she was there when they when they took down the statue and all that and and so that kind of started a conversation with her own family about you know what she was trying to do and she was there to you know protest you know the indigenous children and all and of course more proud i could not be as a father right but you know she's of mixed heritage. My wife is Scottish, and I'm and, and I'm Indian, and so she's feeling this tension as well too. So part mm-hmm. of her comes from a different place, but another part of her is this place as well too. But the point simply was is that she didn't seek my permission as my daughter, which you know as a young adult, <laughs> anyways. But it's 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 but it's not about permission. It's about her as a Christ follower deciding what she wants to do in this regards. And so your wife went on the march in Waterloo. I went on the march back last summer with, with my entire family did. Now, would I do it again? Right. I, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I, if I do that, just, just to be completely honest, yeah. but I did it then because I felt that at least as a pastor there, I should at least say, you know what? Violence against any race, right? It's, it's not acceptable. And, and again, sympathetic to police officers. My, my, my cousin is a police officer. So of course I, you know, I, I feel for what they have to go through. And, and Michael, I love what you said there that you learned and your eyes are open to what they have to go through, which, which is again, difficult. But as pastors, I think we just need to create the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, the Galatian principle and allow people the freedom to decide what they want to do with that, but not the freedom to make other people do what they want to do, mm-hmm. which is, I think since the early church to today, we, we have, we have not, we have not gotten correct in that balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we can transition now a little, because I think that's a good segue then over to identity and Raja, you mm-hmm. talked a little bit there, you know, identifying for us and, and those listening um, your wife's Scottish heritage, uh, you uh, background is, is Indian. And so you have mixed children. And so there is, again, through our, through, if we look at our culture, there is this lens of identity of, I am mixed. I am black. I am Korean. I am white. 
and connected now in our culture to each of these identities are then subcategories of this is what that means stereotypes um and I mean, not necessarily always from a, it doesn't necessarily, our culture thinks they're negative. Sometimes they think they're, they're like positive reinforcements, but they're actually not helpful. And we live in this culture that, that glorifies the, the coming out of the inner self. What do we do with that as followers of Jesus? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about our, our first part of our conversation path forward. I think of Christ coming, incarnating to us, pursuing the other to welcome them in this part of the conversation. I think about the gospel's implications of what Jesus has done for us, exchanging uh, it, coming and taking our place for us. And we now have a completely new identity. I mean, you go through Ephesians. We are now saints. Um, we are loved. We are adopted completely changes things. So entering into this conversation around identity, identity is huge right now in our culture. Again, the, the, the language of discover your true authentic self. And yet then we have this Christian gospel that says your true authentic self is tarnished. You are a sinner. So how do we live within the gospel's understanding of who we are, but then also recognizing and celebrating our our ethnic heritage? You know, I think about one question for the church, for example, is, is the church to be one church of multiple ethnicities gathered together? What do you think about churches that, that would be an ethnic church, that the church is primarily a group of one ethnicity. What do we, what do we do with that? So I know that there's a lot there, but, but identity. Can I say something, Matt? Until you had said it, I don't I think I've ever thought about it, but Jesus incarnation was the ultimate racial assimilation because he entered from divinity into human race. Mm. I, I have never thought of that before until you just mentioned that. I was like, like, like uh, that, like I think, I, I don't know. I might have to sign off now because I'm going to go away and I'm going to think about that for a long time because that's the ultimate in, in, in stepping outside of, of, and again, uh, Philippians two, you know, captures the, the beauty and the image of it, but I have never thought about that, that Jesus enters divinity, which could be its own yeah. know, racial own its own category into a human race, Jewish as a way of, again, sorry. I just, just want to make a note of that. I just like, wow, that was great, Matt. I don't know where that came from, but you should, that, that's tattoo worthy. <laughs> it's my arm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So someone jump in like identity, Albert, this has kind of come to you, Michael. I know um, like in the conversations we've had, you've been like, what even is black culture? Like there's, there's these, ident- like people live in these identities of what it means to be black or this, this type of black culture, that type of black culture. Yeah. Talk to me about these identities and how you've been, you feel like the gospel is kind of coming up against that and, and providing you a way forward as it relates to identity. Preach to us the gospel of identity to the black culture, to all cultures. Oh man, uh, kingdom over everything. Uh, that's what the young people would say right now, right? Kingdom over everything. So I, I, Jesus has literally won us. He's redeemed us. He's won us. Um, and that, you know, to put our minds around that is, is, is amazing by itself and will take eternity in terms of what Jesus, as you just talked about, you know, the incarnation and actually, you know, divinity coming and <laughs> being wrapped in now in, in, in humanity, a totally different paradigm. Um, the, the, the more I, 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 I personally fall in love with Jesus, 
with the nature of the kingdom is the less um, I, 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 I hold on to or seek validation from um, something that is not eternal, something that is something that has not redeemed me. Um, so uh, something that is not love. Uh, so I, I absolutely, for example, love my culture, uh, my heritage. You'll, you'll see me rock Jamaican hoodies, everything like that. But I know, <laughs> I know that um, that is that is a a that comes actually under submission. Gratefully, not even not even like in a, in a, in a back, but gratefully under submission of everything that Jesus has done for me, mm-hmm. um, and and that comes first. And so when it comes under submission, I I can I can I can I can um, appreciate and celebrate culture still, uh, and and appreciate it and celebrate it even more in light of the kingdom. Right. And I, 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 I do believe uh, that scripture is really clear, especially when you when we see revelations, we see uh, Revelation and Revelation 4, Revelation 5, uh, just this, the, the, the nature of the culture of heaven is every nation, tribe and tongue. Like Jesus, like they we he loves, uh, you know, the, the, the diversity of that redemption has has brought to 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 the to the world um so there's something about that the fact that every nation every tribe every tongue and like over and over again in pentecost different nations gathered right uh different different cultures gathered and so um it's beautiful uh when when we um uh when 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 an individual can first uh, uh uh as a follower of jesus uh, fall in love with Jesus, uh, fall in love with uh, the kingdom of God, be born again in terms of realizing that we now have a new DNA, a new spirit that is within us. And that now brings everything else under a beautiful submission uh, so that the gospel can be, can be, can be really um, seen and, and in us, like in us and, and how I interact with, with others and how I, I love others. And because um, we, it's, it's, it's the, it's the beautiful redeemed uh, person. And I, I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. I can talk a lot for identity. I know Albert, that this was your thing. So I'm going to pass it on the baton on to you. But yeah, identity is um, the the Christ identity. When I think it's just real appreciating the value of 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 what that is, of what Christ has done for us, and allowing our life to flow out of that. Hmm. Yeah, Albert, did you want to take the baton from Michael there? Yeah, I can try. Um, so uh, yeah, that whole. Christ-centeredness. Okay, so I appreciated what Mike um, reminded us of, uh, that in the new creation, in eternity, we see uh, multi-ethnicity. We see every tribe, tongue, tongue, and nation. So what makes this challenging is, is that we're not to relinquish our cultural heritage. Um, and, and there's a goodness. There's a validity to... Um, yeah, identifying to a certain race or ethnicity, uh, tribe, tongue, nation. Um, but 
it, it can't be that alone. And, and there's something, I'm just repeating what Mike has just, it was a beautiful sermon that right there. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that what undergirds all that is uh, our identity in Christ, what he's done for us. So um, yeah, and, and, and tying that to uh, Raj's moment, um, uh, basically the way I'll summarize it is um, I think Christ now asks us, I love in John that he gives us, the gospel of John, he gives us the new commandment um, to love one another as I have loved you. Um, so um, as you guys are talking, just like four C's popped into my head, uh, just the way the brain, my brain works. So it's, it's got to start with um, our identity, Christ-centeredness. Mm. And then, um, and then from there, I, I think, yeah, just, you know, what Paul says, Christ in me is to live, uh, trying to figure all that out, where my worth comes from, where my courage, my patience, uh, everything good in life, where does it come from? Uh, and then as we um, rub shoulders with people that are different from us, be it race, ethnicity, or temperament, whatever, um, I think the only way we're going to be able to celebrate one another is if we see each other uh, through Christ's eyes, if we um, uh, seek to love one another as Christ has loved us. So I, I think that's the essence of celebration. You're, you're willing to uh, really put yourself in their shoes and appreciate, honor, love, uh, even though it's not natural to your experience, your the way you were brought up. Okay, I'm going to try jerk chicken. I remember growing up, I was like, what is jerk chicken? Mm. Like, is it, that's a weird name. And the only thing I could explain to myself was like, it was angry chicken. <laughs> but then when I tried it, oh my goodness, you know, uh, I'm not going to make this uh, free advertisement for my favorite restaurant. So I won't mention any, uh, drop any names, but um, you guys visit me here in Toronto. I'll, I'll take you to that place. But um, you to that. yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, so learning to celebrate, right? Yeah. Um, and then, but from that place of, I'm going to love you as Christ has loved me. Like he was completely different. He was divinity, but uh, he, he took on my humanity and, and loved me that way to the point of death. Uh, the ultimate example of trying to understand me and, and put uh, himself in my shoes. And then from there, as we rub shoulders, because of those differences, uh, there's definitely going to be um, times where there's friction, right? And, and so you're going to have to learn to uh, this, the next C here. So Christ-centeredness, celebration, and then conciliation. You're going to have to learn to talk things through, mm-hmm. uh, forgive one another, iron out misunderstandings, go deeper into understanding each other's culture. Um, and I think that's where on the surface at large our society, our culture uh, misses each other. Um, and, and that's why a lot of hate crimes and, and whatnot continue, right? And um, But then beyond that, I think what will bring it all together uh, is, is construction, um, building something together. And that's meant to be the, the uniqueness of uh, the church, that we're really building toward uh, something lasting, 
uh, everlasting, which is uh, the kingdom of Christ and, yeah. and uh, his new creation. Uh, you need that common cause. Um, and yeah, and, and so it's that, it's that both and that difficult tension, but, you know, usually maturity is, is difficult and is about tension between certain things. So uh, meaning we, we hold on to and we celebrate our cultural uh, heritage, but uh, yeah, our identity in Christ trumps all that. But what does that look like practically? I, I think, as we retain our heritage, but with the foundational, um, you know, just uh, being clothed in Christ, we, we seek to love one another as Christ has loved us mm. uh, and, and yeah, conciliating along the way, celebrating along the way and realizing, okay, let's have the same goal. We're, we're trying to build, work towards this vision of, um, uh, yeah, revelation, the every tongue, tribe and nation, the, the new creation and, um, one last thing I'll say is I find increasingly, so yeah, there, there's that, there's revelation, uh, vision, uh, where we want to head towards and all of us are somewhere, um, back from that at some point. And, and so when there's an ethnic church, I, I grew up in an ethnic church, a Korean ethnic church. There's a place for that in, yeah, an immigrant church in, in, uh, in a new country. There's a place for that. Um, but I think, um, it's basically a progression of maturity and, uh, yeah. And, and you want to be working towards that multicultural expression. Um, but I've accepted the fact that, you know what, on this earth, because of sin and just where people are at, um, might not happen, but that doesn't mean that it won't happen. Um, but I think the more churches we can see move toward that, uh, and building towards that, uh, with these four C's that I, I, I talked about, um, I, I think hopefully that will uh, only strengthen and bolster uh, the, the church's witness. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, I, and I've always felt similarly with denominations is that they have their place, but they should never prevent us from fellowship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's where I've thought about too and wondered about ethnic churches is, are they preventing us from fellowship, if opportunity were to come together. I know Michael in this city has tried to pull together a number of events from people of multiple backgrounds, denominations coming together to worship and praise Jesus. And so I've always felt that none of those particularities as far as our cultures and denominations should ever prevent us from from fellowship. Raja, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Because this is this comes from a conversation that we've had before, but I think it's connected to identity, which was an approach from our culture. So here's what my question is going to be. What is the gospel response or the gospel way compared to color blindness and then critical race theory? Mm -hmm. Because I see gospel truths in both, but then also lies in each. I'm wondering if you could break that down a little bit for us as far as what is what was what was the approach of color blindness, and then this new approach that we're hearing a lot about, which is critical race theory, and how the gospel? Because each of those theories are built around a lot of identity, but how the gospel trumps both of those views and provides us a way forward as it relates to identity. Yeah. So 
you know, Matt and I had this conversation a while back because, of course, critical race theory is everywhere and everyone's talking about it. And so before I get to the critical race part, because I've actually been kind of diving deep into this because I'm, whenever I hear something in culture that I don't know, it's just my, it's my pension to kind of say, okay, what is it, right? But I think it's really important to kind of go back to this idea of separation of culture and Christianity. Now we can say cultural Christians, we lump over with culture, right? Whenever we, whenever culture informs Christians on how we should act and behave, we can usually say this is a negative outcome, right? Because when we go back to the Bible from the Old Testament to, again, as my said, said, uh, you know, Revelation chapter seven, that beautiful, beautiful picture that, you know, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, you know, before the throne of God, roaring before the land with palm. Again, it's beautiful, right? But see, the beginning of the, of the story of, of, of creation was humanity in harmony with God. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't know Adam and Eve's race. This is kind of a funny thing is that people assume that they understand Adam and Eve's race. We don't, right? What if Adam and Eve were, 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 were African or were Korean or white or were Indian or like, or, or whatnot, right? What if the fruit was mango? They'd definitely be Indian, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, like we, we really don't know. Now, the reason I say that is because the important part was not the race that they, they had, but was the harmony mm. they had with one another and with God, yeah. right? And throughout the Old Testament, what's interesting, Michael, you said about the, the story of Cornelius. So what was preventing Peter from having a conversation with Cornelius, Cornelius was not the Torah, was not the law, but was actually the tradition, right? And the Judaizers were about tradition and not the law because embedded within Leviticus and Deuteronomy is care for the alien care for the other mm-hmm. right like those who are who are not jewish or not israel born like they you are not meant to take advantage of them right so embedded in the old testament with this idea where god was saying but and again he says it through the prophets my light is for all the people for all the nations right the covenantal promise to abraham was for all the nations mm-hmm. right which again in, in plural and then we get to we get to the gospels and we see jesus living this out because he goes to Caesarea philippi he goes to non-gentile places he has a conversation with a samaritan woman right we see this but in the early church too so going back to what albert said about identity right this is where i think the church is kind of falling apart a little bit is that we are allowing culture to tell us what our identity is and see the gospel the bible tells us what our identity is exactly what albert said our identity is christ so when i see michael when i see albert when i see matt i don't see racial or i don't see gender because we haven't even got to that part too but what i see is jesus right that's the galatian principle right that's what paul says there's not a jew nor gentile uh slave nor free male nor female and he does it a couple other places as well too but what he does is basically takes the categories that we really need to remove in order to find unity right so the gospel narrative was invitation of, of diversity into unity so what we see now within culture is now we see diversity into disunity. Now we see segregation taking place where our racial or ethnic uh, um, label is actually even more important than Jesus in us. And again, we're seeing this within younger Christians. We're seeing this with Christians or like that. So critical race theory, what fascinates me about critical race theory is because, again, with any theory, I can always see it and go, okay, I really get what they're trying to say. So critical race theory really isn't about race when you kind of boil it down to its essential core. It's about power and power imbalance. Mm -hmm. And again, I love that conversation because so when I when my family immigrated to Canada, we lived in government housing, right? And so in government housing, wherever you immigrated from, if you were not able to afford a home, you'd get placed there. So growing up, I had people and who are my friends group who were from 
different parts of Africa, the Middle East, just, but that was normal for me, right? And so this kind of melting pot of my little you know, neighborhood was a part of it, right? And so we never looked at each other as kids saying, oh, you are from Iraq or you are from uh, um, Chad or, or, or you are from different parts of the world. We always decide to, there is kids, let's, let's just play basketball, let's play tag. Now what's happening is through critical race theory is we're taking this concept of justice and power imbalance, which again, these are wonderful conversations and God speaks to this and the gospel speaks to this. But now we're applying it in a way that says you should no longer have conversations or integration with people of different races. And what seems is the idea of splintering of, of pulling apart and i find that to be the most sad and what i find even worse about that is christians themselves adopting or thinking this is the gospel right so can you provide um, one example of that in the flesh that maybe maybe someone listening or watching tuning into this doesn't recognize is is that at its core of uh, of, of the segregational aspect of yeah it? yeah hmm one example, dear goodness, Matt, you really are putting me on the spot here. Um, so, okay, so let me let me give you an example. Just remember, Matt, you asked for this, okay? Yeah. So we've already used the term white, right? And we've used that as a catch-all, right? And one of the things I think so, like, 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 I don't know if if we really can kind of apply the same rules we'd use to different other races but like my like i said to my said to you my wife is scottish right and 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 i have friends who are irish and and matt i don't know what your you might be english i think you said before is english like that right but so when we say white we're using it as a catch-all and the reason we're allowed to do that is because there's been a power imbalance in regards to white people, European culture, colonialism, imperialism, all these, you know, terms. And so we're allowed to now denigrate or be hurtful towards this race or this catch-all race. And so we do so without realizing that we're not really inviting somebody who might be, again, the catch-all of white into the conversation. What I thought was so beautiful about Martin Luther King Jr. and somebody whose voice I think is desperately missing today is when you look at him, when his speech is on stage, right? There's an Indian guy, there's a white guy, there's a woman, there's like, mm. like, like, so what Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to do, and this is the idea of color blindness, right? So as opposed to color focus, which is where we see your race and that's all we see, right? What Dr. King was trying to do was trying to create color blindness, which invites uh, unity into from this diversity, right? And again, I look, I look to Nelson Mandela as well too, because I've been, I've been uh, studying the uh, Truth and Reconciliation uh, Committee in South Africa uh, in the uh, late eighties. There, as they were trying to, as as the down the, when they brought apartheid down, which is again an absolutely governmental racist program. So Nelson Mandela shows up as, 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 as an African man, and now he has to knit a country together that are absolutely two different races. How would you do that? Well, if it's today, Nelson Mandela would take all the property away from the Afrikaners or the, or the white people, and he would, he, would, he, would, he would do reverse segregation to them. Mm -hmm. But what's beautiful about Nelson Mandela, and again, it was absolutely uh, fueled by his, his understanding of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel, he invited 
healing into the conversation to knit together two peoples that were absolutely antagonistic to each other for decades since it, since the late 1940s into cohesion and unity. And that for him was a vision of South Africa going forward. And so for us Christ followers, um, we have the best story. Right. So this problem mm. is, is that we talk about this idea of narrative. We've got the best story. Um, this past Sunday, we were talking. So there's a book that just came out called um, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Great book. She kind of talks about 12 different things that are accusations made against the church. And she kind of digs into the data and see, do these actually stand up? And so one of the things she asks is, is the church against diversity? Which, again, of course, if you listen and you out there, that's all you hear. Well, she digs into the data, and when I kind of did the same as well, too. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. It's called the World Christian Encyclopedia. So Gordon Cornwell University uh, released this kind of pie graph. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the, uh, the, the graph before. It says the world has 100 people. So if the world was only 100 people, these are how the breakdown of races would go. Right. So Gordon Cornwell did the same thing, but the world as a hundred Christians. And I just taught on this on Sunday. What was fascinating was of a hundred Christians in the world, only 10 of them would be English speakers. Mm-hmm. And only 20 plus of them would be Western European Christians. Right. So what was amazing is the data actually shows us if you were to take all the Christians in the world and get the average, the average Christian in the world would be a woman from the Southern hemisphere, you know, whether it's Latin America or, 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 you know, sub-Saharan Africa, right? So the church is, and I, I said this on Sunday and I'll say this to you guys as well too. The church is the only organization in the world that has successfully learned how to integrate different genders, different races, different ethnicities, even through the past pain and hurt of, of different uh, ways of, of, of hurting and suppressing and oppressing one another. The church is the only one, right? So when people talk about this idea of race and accusations are made towards the church, I always say to my, and, and I just want to kind of invite them into the conversation saying, oh, you're talking about the Western church, aren't you? Yeah. And of course, to them, they're not they're like, well, I, it's all the same. I'm like, well, <laughs> is it really the same? And so like, I'll take them to this graph. I'll say, look at this, right? So uh, 90 of the 100 Christians in the world speak something that's not English, mm-hmm. right? What does that tell you, yeah. right? Of the Christians in, in, in North America, which are the white population of Christianity is dwindling, right? And in Europe, which is vastly dwindling, right? By 2040, 40% of the world's Christian population is going to be in Africa. By 2040, 40% of the world's Christians are going to be in Africa, wow. which again, what this tells us is, The gospel is doing what the gospel has always done, removing the labels that we think are so important. Again, not just race, not just ethnicity. It could be social, uh, socioeconomic. It could be anything. And it's uniting people together in this commonality of Christ and the cross and and, and the beauty of that that narrative. So uh, critical race theory, again, again, it's an attempt to say, okay, how do we balance power of this imbalance of power? And again, I get it. But again, it's top down. Mm-hmm. right it's top down and again anything top down i always believe will always only go halfway and halfway measures and it will never really redeem the heart and the soul yeah. so i don't know if that answers hey, that hey I, I, well no i really appreciate you diving into that i know i did uh, put you on the spot there but i think it is important because i know that there are people that will be listening or watching who are hearing about these concepts quite a bit. I even know of someone who grew up in Nelson Mandela, South Africa. And so she's asking the question, you know, how does that interact now with what I know of the gospel or now what I'm hearing about this other theory? And so I think that that is, 
that is really valuable. And I, I always, yeah. I, re- I read this book recently by a guy named AJ Swoboda. It was talking about um, uh, after doubt, uh, how to, how to remain a Christian um, in the middle of deconstruction. And what he talks about is oftentimes through towards the scriptures, we think we've got to evolve from the scriptures. This is kind of what progressive Christianity says. We're evolving from the scriptures. And he says, can we just stop for a second and recognize that the scriptures were written by poor people of color? And so what we're saying is we're going to evolve from these poor people of color's perspective. And he says, primarily a lot of white people are those that are uh, white Western nope. Christians, Yeah, uh, which again is, is a fascinating, a whole other layer to this conversation, but let's maybe now, sorry, Raj, I'm seeing you want to say something else. I don't want to. Yeah. So in regards to the South African truth and reconciliation committee, they had four layers of truth and uh, your friend who mentioned this, you should just tell her to go back and take a look at it. Because truth and reconciliation committees today are look vastly different. So the South African model is the first one. And I think they've really got it right, right? So the first layer of for the South African uh, truth and reconciliation committee was forensic truth. So before they did listen to the narrative, they want to make sure that this took place at this time, at this place. So their first layer of integrating into this idea of, and remember, truth and reconciliation is, okay, how do you reconcile people? The first thing is, the first reconciliation aspect is truth. This is why the Catholic Church's response to what's taking place is so culturally tone deaf, because it's not, it's not admitting the truth, right? And, and again, I know there's a whole bunch of layers, but, but a papal apology, you know, would be the thing that would say to people, okay, we had the best of intentions, but we absolutely messed up and we are so sorry, right? The posture of humility is so core to a Christ follower, right? So the truth and reconciliation committee, and by the time it gets to step number four, it's about, okay, now that we've heard the truth, now we've heard how the hurt and the pain of whatever you've experienced, now that we've listened to how different people have done that, now number four is, how do we forgive one another and heal? <laughs> right? And so it's like, okay, right? But you can't, you can't have healing until you have truth. You can't ask for healing until there's forgiveness, right? And so I taught about colonialism on, on Sunday. And I said, to some, I said to my church, I said, whenever it talks to me about colonial Christianity, the first thing I say is, I am so sorry. This is where Christianity has got muddled up into politics and it got like, like Jesus was the unintended consequence of the European nation sending ships out, you know, Spain, Portugal, France, uh, England, and, you know, Jesuit missionaries being a part of it. And they took paintings of the white Jesus with them. And that was what they taught the cultures of, of what Jesus looked like. And I said, so when someone says that to me, I just first and foremost, before I go, yeah, but or, oh, or, I always just say, you know what? You're right. That was an absolute atrocity of the church. But this, and again, this is where we get to come back and say, kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of this world, mm. right? It's, it's not culture that sets the pace for Christians. It's the kingdom of heaven. Christians are having less and less view of the kingdom of heaven and more and more about the culture. You know, Matt, you talked this idea about fear, right? So Agatha Christie says, fear is uh, incomplete knowledge. You know, and so when you fear someone, you fear a race, it is incomplete knowledge. Michael, when you went to talk to the police of chief, uh, the the chief of police, Mm -hmm. you had incomplete knowledge. Mm -hmm. And there might have been some fear as as, as a black man going to Mm -hmm. an oppressor, perhaps. It's Mm -hmm. incomplete knowledge. But as the relationship grew and you realized your knowledge increased and that that fear decreased, Mm -hmm. right? Fear Mm -hmm. is incomplete knowledge. And so 
I think Christians, we, we, we've, we've got the best story. We just got to remember it. Wow. I've got so many questions coming out of that, but I don't think we have the time for them. And so I do want to transition a little bit to how do we move forward? And, you know, thinking again about this, what is, what is one step, you know, maybe even think of yourself, what's one step you're going to, you're going to take out of this conversation uh, that can maybe be an example of somebody listening uh, what, what, what's a, what's a first step? What's, what's a practical, you know, I think we've already talked about relationship, you know, relationship, 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 but what is, what is one step that each of you could share that you think would be a wise step coming out of this conversation and as a follower of Jesus moving forward? Yeah, for me, um, uh, I was just listening and taking it all in. Um, uh, I think I'm I'm all the more convinced from this conversation that uh, you got to teach Christ followers to um, uh, to uh, yeah, like relationship as a Christ follower. Um, like you think back to. You know, you, you try to from, let's say, where feminist movements have come from, uh, where um, you know the the cultures uh, assumptions of the church when it comes to gender, sexuality, um, and, and that's all. I know we've been talking about race, but but yeah, I agree with you, Matt. That identity is is the big umbrella. Um, you know, uh, like soapbox these days. And, and, and so identity includes all these things, um, gender, sexuality, race, skin color, all that. Like you, you, if you try to think where all those movements came from, it, it came from a moment in a relationship where someone hurt another person, uh, in that, you know, on that level of whether it be sex relationship, um, or like uh, race, et cetera. Um, yeah, you, you think of uh, just the little I know of black history in, in America and however it spilled over into Canada, just slavery and all that. Like it, it comes down to that moment where there's this one person wants to, out of their probably greed and, and wanting to, you know, make more money or whatever is willing to cross that, line okay i can have a slave and and for forced cheap labor or whatnot uh it comes down to those little single daily moments and and how would that have been reversed in that moment it's mm. it's a soul that is gripped and transformed and compelled by the love of christ <sighs> to act differently to have made a different choice mm-hmm. um so yeah and i i think in some sense, we're, I feel, I feel worried for our culture because I think we're just perpetually caught on the surface and just trying to deal with surface issues. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll just think, see things go round and round in cycles um, until Christ returns. Um, I don't know if that's too cynical, but uh, so meaning the hope is, is, I'm just all the more convinced. I got to just keep 
preaching the gospel and showing individuals in the church how this works out in your day-to-day relationships right um yeah and, and applying that in your levels of influence and whatever if if i ever have the privilege to to pastor the prime minister of canada then to apply okay then you and your specific calling in that position of influence this is what it looks like in your day-to-day relationships and how you look out onto the world so yeah that's my big takeaway yeah michael raja uh, go ahead Ah, there's so much that's going through my mind right now because these brothers have completely ministered to me uh, today. This is this is good. So this for me is is even good. Like this, uh, I think we're doing what we've been talking about in terms of beginning relationship, having conversations, and um, I'm grateful uh, for for this. Um, uh, one of the things that came to my mind, um, just just practically uh, going forward, is. Uh, don't be uh, uh, don't be afraid, and I like that, uh, Raj. Uh, you really leaned into that in terms of you know, um, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, right? <laughs> and um, don't be uh, don't let fear uh, maybe not let fear uh, stop us from uh, having the uncomfortable conversations, or um, you know, um, uh, maybe talking with a neighbor. Uh, who is who is different than us? Like, um, and know that, uh, and I, I said this uh, to to our fellowship a few months ago. In terms of sometimes we feel powerless, but the truth is that we have received power. Mm-hmm. We have the Holy Spirit, which is the most powerful force in the in the the most powerful person. So we have power um, within us as believers in Jesus. Uh, that it might not look like a government power uh, for some of us it might, but we have power that that just like how 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 the early church was used to break open barriers, it's the same power that's available to us today. And it might not look orthodox in terms of the ways that that it plays itself out. I have a neighbor. Um, he has a lawnmower. I don't. I board his lawnmower, uh, but we we mow each other's lawns. Um, and I borrowed his lawnmower last summer and I just gave it back to him like a couple weeks ago. He's white. Um, I was mowing his lawn and someone moved into uh, his house. He's taking care of someone. He moved into his house and the conversation was he saw me, uh, the person who moved in saw me mowing his lawn. And he's like, someone's mowing your lawn. <laughs> and I'm sure in his mind, it's like, there's a black man that's mowing your lawn. Like, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on here? And my neighbor's just like, yeah, that's what we do for one another. Wow. And, um, you know, and I, it, it, it's, it's crazy uh, to see what happens when we step into the uncomfortable, uh, when we, and even uh, the, the places where, where it's a sacrifice. And I think sometimes it is that going, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit will lead us into that Cornelius situation and say, yo, go in, yeah. head on in. Yeah. Yeah. Raja, how about for you? So for me, so if you're watching this and you are, you are sensitive, right? Like everyone's just we're sensitive, right? And, and you're hearing what's going on around you and you're maybe hearing it from your coworkers, your students, your friends, your family members. My posture has always been just to, just to say, sorry. 
So as a pastor, all I do is encounter people who've been hurt by the church or hurt by people within the church. And before I try to justify the hurt, before I try to justify, all I ever say is, I'm so sorry. Mm. So when people talk about colonialism, the first thing I say is, I'm so, so sorry, right? I was talking to a Muslim individual uh, a while back, and he was, he, of course, he talked about the Crusades. And, you know, this is, this is part of their uh, racial memory. And, and, you know, he kind of kind of sit in such a way that he's trying to see what my response was. And I just said, I am so, so yeah. sorry that that took place. Right. So I think the posture for Christ followers, because I think that we have some idea that we, uh, we have a superior position or that we are, our, our, our opinions are superior to others. I think the pro the problem with that is it lacks a great deal of humility. Mm. And so what I tend to try to do is just I, when people bring up situations, and again, valid ones, like if they're making things up, then I'll just unpack with them. Just saying, okay, I, I see where you're coming from, but let's, mm. let's, let's, let's actually, let's do what the South African Truth and Reconciliation Committee, let's start with truth. Is this actually true, right? But if what they're saying is true, then I just say sorry, mm. right? And, and what, right, what I've always found with that response is it really, it kind of throws people off. Because people are ready for an argument. They're ready for kind of a, but I just say, no, you're right. Listen, the church should not have done that. No, you're right. This, the church's response in this has absolutely been tone deaf wrong. Like you're, you're right. And yeah. when you say that, it, it stops becoming binary. Yes, no, right. But it becomes a yes and, and the and from this Jesus, yeah. right. So the amazing thing about Christianity is we only have one source of truth. Right. Forget all the Christian celebrities, forget all the worship bands, forget all the books, forget all that kind of stuff. We have one source of truth. That's the Bible. And so what I will do is I'll try to say to people, listen, the kingdom of heaven wasn't about race. It certainly wasn't about oppression, oppression of any race. It was, certainly wasn't about indigenous people, black people, Asian people. Like, it wasn't about that. It was about all these people unite. And so if we have dropped the ball in executing that and living that, then I just want to say, I am so, so absolutely sorry. Mm-hmm. And I just take the anger. I take it because a, it's, 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 it's our responsibility. So first I'd say, just, just ask for forgiveness, seek in, in the posture of humility. And the second thing I say is live a better story, mm-hmm. right? Live a better story. You, we've got the gospel. We've got the best story in the world. Globally, there isn't anybody who can touch our resume in regards to what we do in regards to integration. Live a better story. So if, if, if you, like, I just want every person that, that knows you to know that they've met a Christ follower who's authentic in love, gracious in behavior, and, 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 and diverse in their, in their interactions. So that when the next headline hits, the next headline always hits, they yeah. can say, I met, a, I met a man, I met a woman. That I don't know about this headline, I don't know about this person, I don't know about this group that have done this, but they have lived out a way that's different than that. And that actually gives me at least pause to yeah. question that. That that's all. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. I would say, I would say for me, just in closing, I, I think it's connected to what you finished with there, Raj, which is just starting with like there's hope in the gospel. And I know that like that's just my confession that when I read these headlines, the new, the, the, the Guelph today article I, I listed earlier. Like I can so easily get to anger with like, well, you just don't understand. You don't understand Jesus. Like what's, but, and then I can go, Oh man, this is just becoming so post-Christian. Like nobody's ever going to listen. But when we stop and I hear what we're talking about today, the reality of global Christianity 
the reality of the true good news of the gospel as it relates to a path forward, as it relates to the truth of our identity, as it relates to even next steps. I'm hopeful and believe it. Like you guys have encouraged me so much. And I believe that that will be the case uh, for everybody listening. So if, if you would, would you just allow me here to, to close us off in prayer? Um, once again, thank you. Thank you so much to each of you for, for, for blessing those that will listen. And actually, Michael, would you please close us off in prayer here, brother? Yeah, Mike, one second. Matt, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for organizing this. Thanks for bringing this together. You were kind of the, the unifying vision behind this. So Matt, we want to say thank you to you for this and, and being a part of this and being brave enough to have com- uncomfortable conversations and invite that dialogue. So thanks, Matt, for doing that. Mm-hmm. And thanks for doing it again, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Albert, you're not going anywhere, brother. We're going to do this again. I, I uh, It's great to see um, just, you know, I, I just really concur with Matt. I've really been ministered to just sharing and hearing. Mm. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, uh, Raja and Albert as well. And thank you, Matt, for mm. uh, for this, for hosting this, bro. Thank you. Behold what manner of love the Mm. Father has given to us that we should be called the sons, the daughters, the family of God. We're so grateful uh, that you've adopted us into your kingdom, Lord. I want to say thank you, God, for the uh, conversation that we've just had and for the seeds that are being planted in our lives and in the lives Mm. of those who are hearing. And we just uh, believe, Lord, that um, there will be fertile uh, ground and that the harvest of these seeds and these conversations um, are going to be good, are going to be fruitful, are going to break down barriers, break down walls, break down fear, uh, bring a release of the true identity of who we are in Christ and uh, just uh, send it, send us out uh, together as pastors, as followers of the way, as followers of Jesus Christ, yeah. to be your fragrance, to be the salt, to be the city on a hill. I want to say thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us, who is mm-hmm. in us, who is fulfilling your mission in us, God. And so we just yield to, to you and to how you will move uh, through us as your church, yeah. Uh, in this time, God, and we say thank you. We say thank you that the love of Jesus Christ has won us, has redeemed us, has 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 given us a brand new uh, cre- uh, identity. And we say thank you for the beauty, for the truth, for the power of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, may 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 it come alive in all of its all of its glory within mm-hmm. us, Lord. Uh, and on the on the earth through your through your body in Jesus name we pray